Hiya, I'm Alex Johnson and welcome to the Yellow Rugby Podcast, your home of golf rugby. I've teamed up with Big Nev, who runs Bench Warmers and Rugby Smacks, to provide a weekly podcast that looks at all of the rugby taking place here in the UAE. I'd first like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor of the show, rhinomina.com. Rhino is a multi-sport brand developing team wear, leisure wear, training and match day equipment to more than 60 sports here in the Middle East. Also, please like, share and subscribe to us. You can find us on most of the social media channels out there by typing in Yellow Rugby. Right, welcome to episode 10. On this week's show, we've got Dubai Hawkins head coach, Rocky Truda. Rocky, welcome to the show. Hi, Alex. Thank you for having me. Um, I've been listening to all of your podcasts. Amazing. I love it. Um, I like to hear the different opinions about rugby. So it's good to be able to be on it today. Um, yeah, so the first time I came to Dubai was in 2013. So I was uh, coaching with the J9 Legends for US Universitasen at that time. So came over here, um, had great players playing for our team, like Carlos Spencer, Colin Chavez, Stephen Larkham, Vaisali Sarevi, you know, those guys. And then I'm there. I think I was 24, 25 years old at the moment, you know, don't really know what to say to those guys, just like, can we take a picture afterwards, you know? <laughs> so that was our, my first time coming to Dubai. Then ever since um, we've come out to Dubai for the sevens, every year since that, with South African schoolboy teams, bring them over and um, also netball teams come to Dubai. So myself and my wife always said, you know, we wanted to move to Dubai. That was always our plan. Um, she's a teacher. She applied for a couple of jobs over five years, never got an interview, you know, but we always said, like, okay, we'll, this is our plan to get over here, you know? And then, um, so I was at a school in South Africa, head of sport. Um, I was there for seven years, then got a job as director of rugby to one of the top 10 schools in South Africa and moved over there. Um, was there for four years. And then I got a job as director of rugby for Hungary national team, um, coaching Hungary national team. Uh, and my wife took on a job as a teacher in Budapest. So we moved to Budapest in 2020. Um, I just arrived in Budapest one month in, and then I got my dream job in Japan as a tech coach for Tokyo University. Um, I've been to Japan a few times before working with um, Eddie at Santori and um, looking around Japan. So I've always wanted to move there, um, applied for the job, did the interview, heard nothing back from them in COVID. And then as soon as we arrived in Budapest, I got a call from my agent and said, listen, you got the job. So you arrive in a month's time. So then my wife said, no, she's going to finish the school year. So I moved to Japan. She stayed with the kids. As soon as I landed in Japan, second wave came. They locked us down. So how was that? How, how, did, how did you cope with the distance between you and your wife? You know, I mean, that must have been tough. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, like it was, I think it was a nine hour time difference anyway. You know, so I'd wake up two o'clock in the morning just to give them a video call. That's the time they arrived back from school. Um at night so to, to talk to them but you know then the kids were tired they're hungry it's cold you know couldn't really talk to them then i go to sleep a little bit again and then when we have our lunch time at one i phone my wife again just to check up on her before she goes to school you know so it, it was really tough um and it was tough for the kids you know my son was just one years old daughter was four years old you know so that was tough for them um then i came back after the season i signed another two years um, my wife took on a job in japan in tokyo um, at a school, good school, got some rugby in there. So we all said I went back to Budapest to move us. Um, and then this, the third wave came. And then they locked us out again. 
So then we were in Budapest. We already, she already resigned. We already moved our stuff. Um, so we came to Dubai for a holiday just because we thought it will open up soon. And that holiday became a month, became two months. Then she took on a job in Dubai at the Australian International School, which she currently is great school. She loves it. Um, and then Japan always said, no, they'll open up after the Olympics, then after the Paralympics, you know, and that became five, six months later. And then I reached out to Dubai Hurricanes. I said, listen, I'm looking for some, um, some coaching jobs. Um, they were great, you know, good for me. Gave me the Colts job. Um, yeah, and we, we just stuck around, you know. I had to make the call because I was coaching online. It was hard with the sound barrier anyway, being there now, translating. So I had to make that call, you know, and then we just said maybe our plan is just sped, sped up a little bit. So we in Dubai at the moment. It's good for family, good for life. Um, and we stuck around and happy about that decision. Yeah, it sounds like a good move. Um, and I, I hear you spoke loads there about coaching how did you played previously how did you get into coaching so yes i did play i played a little bit um played in south africa then played a little bit in england played a little bit in ireland actually in ireland where my my love for coaching started um in dublin at a school called st andrews so the current irish prop andrew porter used to be my eighth man at st andrews at under 13 he was just a wrecking ball, you know, just that was our game plan, give the ball to Andrew Porter. We actually had a few guys. Daniel Joyce was our scrum half. He went on to play Island 19s. We had uh, Greg Martin. We had, a, we had a few guys who played on reps under 20s. Um, that's why I, where I started loving coaching. Then I got injured, came back to South Africa, and then we lived across the school. Um, I didn't go to that school. My brothers went to that school, but the principal always knew me. And then... I bumped into him in the shop one day and he said, listen, become a teacher at my school. I went to become a teacher. Four weeks in, he called me into the office. He said, you're going to be a terrible teacher, but you're going to be a great head of sport for us. So you're going to be our head of sport. And then, yeah, that's how I got into coaching, started doing all of that, uh, went on a few courses, as many as I can. Um, then Eddie Jones invited me to Suntory in 2011. Um, and then I just saw how professional setup was and you know the rest is history i just wanted to be be that i wanted to wake up every morning and do that you know so still still striving for that dream love it yeah i mean that, that's an amazing thing to happen to have you know eddie jones call you up and say right i wanted to do some coaching and i know you uh did coaching in england like was it last year that you did uh you went over to the training camp how on earth did that come about so, um, you know, Eddie's a, he's a servant of players, you know, he's a servant of coaches, servant of the game. He just loves it. So he gets a lot of guys in throughout the year, you know, constantly getting guys into the camp. He, he, he just shows his whole deck of cards. He never holds nothing against his chest. So he always invites players in and coaches in to come and experience it, come and learn. And then he also learns from people, you know, he's, he's always open to learning from people. And then, yeah, before the Barbarians game last year, um, actually in 2018, he came to South Africa again. So I met up with him at the hotel, had a coffee, uh, spent a few days with them in Cape Town before the South African test. Then when I got the job in Japan, um, he's still coaching at Santori as director of rugby there. So he's in and out Tokyo the whole time. Uh, so I met up with him there for coffee again. And then last year, yes, before the Barbarians game, he invited me back into camp again. So, you know, oh, unbelievably blessed to be able to be around professional guys, you know. Um, I, I enjoy going to courses, but I don't like just going to a course where a guy comes in and tells you what to do in a lineup. 
you know, I enjoy being in part of a setup because then you, you see what they do off the ball. You see what they do around lunchtime. You see how the coaches speak to players. You see how players have their own meetings. You see how players recover. You see how coaches speak to each other in, on selection, how they agree to not to disagree. You know, so I, I like that stuff. And I think that's, that's what forms you better as a player. It looked like an amazing experience for you. And I noticed, um, I think I saw one of your photographs when you were at the training camp. You were with uh, Will Carling. How, how is the setup there? I mean, what's he doing there? Is he involved or was he just passing through? Now, I'd love to get an inside view of, of what goes on through a training camp because you often see these ex-famous pros just kicking around there. Is that what they're doing? Are they just kicking around or are they actually there for a purpose? No, 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 Alex. So that's what I said about Eddie Jones, you know. If you talk to players that has played 50 caps on Eddie, they'll tell you what an amazing guy is, you know. Um, the media sometimes just sells the guys that gets dropped after two games, you know, and their side of the story because it sells papers, you know, but he's always getting, constantly getting professional guys in to help, you know, so Will is coming in, he actually works with players, um, he, he's doing uh, professional stuff with players on their professional development and taking them to the next level and then his son, Jack Carling, is um, also part of the backroom staff as an apprentice. So he, he packs out the cones, he does some some stuff, he, he aspires to be a, a coach. And then, you know, just Eddie appointed him, he's, he's getting no payment and stuff for that. He's just giving up his time as an apprentice and learning from these guys, you know, as a sponge just taking in. I think he's going to be a great coach. But, you know, then Eddie's got Johnny Wilkerson coming in. Uh, when I was there, Steve Hansen was actually in England for the, for the racing for his horses. And then he actually stopped in for one day and had a meeting with the coaches, you know, so... We, we all sat there, picked Steve Hansen's brains. And, you know, so it's amazing seeing how these guys on professional level um, share, you know, how they how they come in, how they give their opinions and, and how, how the game goes from there, you know, because everyone's got a different opinion. And, and I don't think it's right or wrong, but I think a little bit of every piece builds the puzzle. So it's amazing. Yeah. And just touching back on Eddie there, do you think it was the right time for Eddie to go? Or do you think he could have stayed, you know, until the World Cup? Uh, you know, I, I don't know too much about the politics around that. I know he worked hard. Um, he's got a World Cup plan in place. You know, he went over to France a few times for England to do preparation um, for the World Cup. You know, he plans everything ahead in detail. So, yeah, obviously he would have been gutted. But then, you know, when one door closes, the other one opens up. You now he's, he's back where he wants to be. He's back in his country getting a second shot at the World Cup. You know, he's excited again. He's re-energized again. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see when World, Cup's co World Cup comes around in September. Yeah, it's going to be uh, an interesting one. I think all eyes are going to be on him and Steve Borthwick. Um, so, yeah, Hurricanes coach, how's that going? You, uh, congratulations, first of all. You uh, just won the um, Division One title after an unbeaten season. Yes, thank you, Alex. Yeah, we had a good run. 11 from 11, um, you know, played good rugby, always worked really hard. You know, we're an attractive team to watch, scored, I think, 60 tries, uh, 450 points for us, only 105 against us. Um, you know, that's tough in any league um, to be able to put that on every week, you know. So, yeah, it was good, good run for us. Yeah, well, you've got the mic and there's been lots of people chipping in in the past saying, you know, why you moved down from uh, Premiership. The, you've got an open mic here. 
Go on, let everyone know the real reason why uh, why you stepped down. Alex, as I said, I listened to all your podcasts and almost everyone spoke about the hurricanes, you know, so it's all, every week it's nice to, you, you know, they always say if you want to find out what's happening in your team, you just read the newspaper because they'll tell you what's happening inside your camp. So it's always nice hearing that we give players cars, we give players money, we don't have to pay for our fields and all of that, you know. Um, I think you should go and sit with our chairman so he can show you all the figures. It's a lot of money that we pay for, for pitch hire. Um, there's no one getting cars. <laughs> You know, and there's no one getting money, you know, no one getting paid for that. Um, but you, uh, as I understand it, um, Apollo was on the first one and he gave his side. But as I understand the rules is that you need to have two teams to play in the, in the prem um, every week. And we didn't have enough players. So we don't, we can't have two teams. So that's why we dropped down to the one. So, you know, I'm still a bit new. I don't want to get into politics of, over here. But, you know, if you don't have two teams, you don't have two teams. It's not about... Um, the Prem is a better rugby or the Div 1 is a better, worse rugby or whatever, you know, only except for the Tigers, none of the Prem sides made the playoffs, you know, and Tigers made it with, uh, because of Powerhouse and Sharks upset, you know. So otherwise, none of the four teams would have been a, a Div 1 team from a from a Prem's team, you know. So the Div 1 is its own merit, his, his own toughness. We've got a player, our captain who played Super Rugby for the Bulls, junior World Cup captain. And after every game, I ask him, you know, how was it? And he says, no, it's tough. You know, it's the boys are hard over here, you know. So if it's Div 1, if it's Prem, whatever, you always have uh, your merit playing on the level you, you, you're you on, uh, the level of the guys around you. And every game is going to be tough, you know. So um, we played in Div 1. We only had one team. In the final, we only had 20 players in the final. You know, in our, in our final, we had five guys that went to Rossland Park that couldn't play for us. Uh, we've got two guys that had in, uh, surgery in the season. You know, that's seven guys out for the final. Um, plus, you know, if you take that from the registered players we have, you know, we, we're lucky to have a, a team in the final. So at the moment, it's tough fielding uh, a Div 1 team that you want to be able to have some rivalry, have some competition in positions, you know, which would be the perfect thing. You know, it's always good when there's a little bit of competition in a position that presses players to go to work a little bit harder, you know. And I think that's the difference in Prem sides when they got their 45 or 60 players uh, every week training, you know, there's a lot of competition and that brings the best out of each player. Yeah. Do you think there's a big gap between Premiership and Division? Is it a big step up for the players? Alex, I, I can't tell you because I haven't coached at Prem level yet. You know, so I've only coached at Div 1, but I watched a lot of Prem games this year. I enjoy watching rugby. Um, there's a lot of good players around the UAE. You know, if you look at, uh, if I can name a guy, you know, Durant Herbert from the Exiles. I've met him a few times and a great guy. You know, I've watched him coach his school. And at the, in the final, he came on um, and he just he just kicked the drop goal, you know, just to take them nine points ahead, you know. So just having that experience, that calmness, that composure, you know, I think... There's a lot of guys in the prem that has got that, so maybe that could be the difference, you know. But I would love to, I would love to have to pick a like a, a select 15, you know, a coach's draft. Let the div one coach, and the prem coach have a bit of a draft and teach, uh, uh, select two teams and they play against each other for at the end of the year, you know, a little bit of a select 15 UAE barbarians type of game, you know. And then you can work with different players because I think in div one there's some amazing players in prem. There's some amazing players, you know. So to be able to Pick a team like that, maybe have a little bit of draft, bring some fun into the league. 
Yeah, there is. And we did that a couple of years ago, actually. Um, we, we did a Barbarians from the Devon team against um, the UAE squad. <clears throat> and that proved, proved to be quite a successful um, little, little thing. So, yeah, that's something I'd like to see come back again. Um, yeah. Would you like to see more teams in the Premiership? Because we're at the moment, you know, we've had four four UAE teams. Do you think it needs to go a bit deeper and include a few more teams? Would you go back up? Yeah, well, again, if you look at the schools, I mean, you know, in the in the top division, there's only three schools playing there, you know, so they play each other the whole time. You know, same with the Premier, they play each other the whole time. And the, the, the danger about that is they know each other so good. You know, they know exactly what's happening, what's coming, you know, so... I don't think that's good for competition. I, I think it's good when you have a lot of teams. So maybe one league, you know, Div and Prem together, one league, you know, sometimes you're going to get a bit of a beating. The other week you're going to have a good game and the other week you might, you might be giving a little bit of a beating out, you know. So, but then at least you got different styles every weekend, the different excitement every week, you know. So maybe one league of 10 teams or 15 teams would be nice. As I said, some of the Div teams we've played, you know, even if we put up a lot of te- uh, points against it, we play Dragons and we put up a big score against them, you know. But that was a really one of our hardest games. They were really well coached, well organized, knew what they wanted to do. You know, so I think it's an opportunity for everyone to play everyone. And um, to come back to you, winning the, the Devon, how did you boys celebrate? <laughs> I don't know how they celebrated. You know, we've got a lot of guys from different nationalities so Six Nations was on at the moment so some of them might have rushed back to watch Ireland get a Grand Slam or hope England uh, upset someone so that France can win it you know so I think they celebrated a little bit on their own I bet it was a happy a happy um, happy bus ride home from Arlene back to the seventh stadium was it? I didn't take the bus back uh, my assistant coach Ivan took the bus back so um, I'll need to ask him about that but I'm sure it was a good bus ride <laughs> How can the game be helped over here? How, you know, what can be done more to improve the game, do you think? I think I'd love to see more club days, you know, like the final in Elaine. That was quite nice, you know, where the one final was played and then after that, the Prem final was played. You know, in Japan, we have this thing called double headers. So, you know, we would play, we from Tokyo would play Meiji University from Tokyo, but we'd, we'd play in Osaka. So, and then, you know, before us, Panasonic would play Kobe. You know, so it'll be just a massive crowd staying around for two or three games after each other. You know, so I think that would be maybe nice if, if every weekend could be a club day. You know, imagine um, coming out to the sevens and and all the games start nine o'clock in the morning until seven o'clock at night. You know, you've got Alain playing Dragons and then you've got Charger playing Canes and then you've got Exiles playing um, whoever, you know, Tigers. And then the week after that, we all go to Dragons and we play there, you know, in the week after that. So that brings all the crowds to one venue every week. And they can hang around, watch a few different games, you know, different styles, and just to make a day of it, a rugby day of it. I think that would be nice to, to see for entertainment, you know, because um, rugby is about entertainment. You know, if you look at the sevens, how popular that is, um, you can go and watch a game in New Zealand versus South Africa. And then after that, you can hang around the fields and go into the beer garden and do something else and then come back and watch another game. Now, people want entertainment. So that would be nice to see more club games. Yeah, I agree. I think it would be definitely a great day. Um, and it makes all the difference, doesn't it, when there's a lot of people around supporting. You know, it doesn't have to be supporters. They're just there creating an atmosphere for the rugby players. 
I think the rugby would improve massively if there was crowds. Of course, definitely, you know, and and definitely the players would be able to um, enjoy after after they've played, hang around with some friends, you know, watch different other games, you know, um, watch different levels if there's still two divisions, watch different teams say, oh, I could have a crack at this team, you know, I, I, I'll have a crack at this. But at the moment, no one's watching games. And even if you if you look at, you know, um, in South Africa, my last few years, if you sat the boys down and said, oh, watch the game the weekend between the Bulls and the Lions, you know, the kids don't watch rugby anymore. I knew when I grew up, I'd stay from the morning, watch all the Super Rugby games, you know, and then afternoons, watch the South African ones, you know. So, but the, the players don't watch rugby anymore. There's too many, too much things to do, especially in Dubai, you know. There's, you can go on a yacht cruise, you can go on a desert safari or whatever, instead of sitting two hours in front of a television, you know. So having these fun days around, you know, two a month or whatever, um, because we've played 11 games now in seven months. So, you know, that's crazy. That's just stretched out. The whole season's just stretched out, you know. We can play those same games just in five months, you know, but have a bit of an atmosphere, have a bit of something to do for the players, you know. Yeah, yeah. I certainly think over the sevens period is just a too big a gap. No, I know what I'm like over Christmas. I get fat. <laughs> there ain't no way of getting me back on the train field uh, quickly after after Christmas. Yeah, and the thing is, the sevens is so big over here, so we're not going to be able to change that, Alex. You know, like people from all over the world come out to the sevens, so the sevens is big over here. So why not have a seventh season? You know, we played Presidents Cup this year and it was amazing. Have another two or three sevens tournaments, and then start in January. You know, people say, "Oh, what about the props? What are they going to do?" Let them start in January. Why do they have to start in September? You know, why do we have to feel like, oh, they're paying a, they're paying a. a a, a su- subscription to be for 12 months, you know, they'll still pay the same membership fee for five months, just as long as they get their games in those five months and it's entertainment for them, you know? Yeah. That's something I've never thought about actually. It's a good point. So um, with you being here now in Dubai, where do you see yourself in another five years time? Oh, you know, I just, in five years, I just want to be a better coach than I, than I was this year. You know, that's my, my goal every year to just improve as a, as a coach, to just coach better. The game the game changes, the rule changes. So it's exciting as a coach. You know, you can always improve. You know, it's like a teacher. There's so many variables walking into your classroom every day, you know. Same as coaching. Different rules. Then one team gets a loophole. Then they change the rules again. You know, then you get other players. Um, then you don't have fast players. Then you have fast players, you know. So it's always nice to have a bit of a think of what you're going to, how you're going to coach, how you're going to play the season. So in five years from now, still want to be in the UAE. We're happy over here. It's good for our family life. Um, just want to be a better coach, you know, um, in five years. Yes, as personally for myself. There's always a need for coaches. And if you were to give someone thinking of becoming a coach some advice, what would that be? Oh, the thing is, you know, always just you, you need to let them be creative. You know, when we in South Africa, it's so structured. South Africa school board rugby is the best in the world, you know. I don't care what happens at the school festivals in the year, you know. But if you look at the how demanding it is, how structured it is, how competitive it is, you know. Then at school, I was director of rugby, so you put up a language. So everyone talks the same. You put up a little bit of a how we're going to play. You know, you, you put up a structure from under 14C up until the under 19 age, you know. You put up a structure. But it's also important to let every coach stay creative inside that structure. You know, so you can't tell him you have to do this. You, you can just tell him from a short line out, this is how we want to play from a short line out. How you get there, that's your own creative, creative, uh, creativity, you know. 
um, because every player, every coach sees the game differently. And that's what I, what I learned from professional coaches, you know. They always take a little bit of advice from every coach, even if it's in football, basketball, golf coaches. They, they're talking to tennis coaches at the moment, you know, um, NFL coaches. Always a little bit of advice how they can get that edge, you know, because you think it's easy to, to follow a trend because rugby's got a cycle. Rugby's got a kicking and a running cycle. So there's always a trend, you know. When everyone starts to kick, then they sit, they, they put um, wings and fullbacks and eighth men back. Then there's more space in front. Then teams start running again. Now, once they start running, they put up the defense one line, then there's space in the back, then they start kicking again, you know. There's always a running, kicking cycle. So you always need to stay ahead of, you know, when is going to be that cycle? How can you change that? You know, how can you be more creative inside of that? And if you look at the ball in play, ball in play for 30 odd minutes in a game, you know, there's a lot of subs coming on. You've got seven, eight subs coming on. So there's a lot of fresh players at the end on. So it's almost a starting a new game. But then guys want to speed it up at the end. Where NFL has got that, they've got a lot of small movement because there's a lot of breakage in play. So you look at their linebackers and their running backers, they've got a little footwork. It's always just about beating a guy in front of you, getting that inch because every yard gets them a new touchdown, you know? So you need to work on that in training. But imagine coming to a training session and you do elastic bands and footworks and all that. Players are not going to come back because they want to do lineouts. They want to run shape from lineouts. They want to run shadow rugby and shapes and score four tries against no one because we think that's what rugby training should look like, you know? But when you go into a professional setup, you get there, you're like, oh, what are these guys doing? And then everyone says, oh, they got enough time with the players. We always look for an excuse. You know, we want to learn from the professionals. But when we learn from them, we say, oh, but we don't have this. We don't have video analysis. We don't have this. We don't have this, you know. So we always look for that excuse instead of looking at the creativity of the, of the game. You know, the game is still a very young game. People think rugby's dying out. I think it's only growing now. Russia starting to have a good domestic um, competition. USA's got their major league rugby. They're going to have a new one now. You know, um, so I think the game is only waking up now. Yeah. And knowing the experience that you've had over the years, um, what do you wish you knew when you first started that you know now? Oh, to be calm at halftime. <laughs> right. I used to be calm at halftime. You know, and the, and the head coach sets the temperature. That's one of the things I've learned over my life. You know, head coach sets the temperature. And then also another thing I've learned is... Um, that perception is reality, you know. People always have a perception about you, uh, whether it be players, whether it be co- coaches we work with, coaches you work against, media, public, you know, parents. People always have a perception, and you can't try change that perception because that's their reality. That's what they believe, you know. So you just need to keep on doing what you're doing, trusting yourself, be calm. You know, you've done the work throughout the week, and that's your plan. If you if it doesn't work then at least you know where to fix it. But if you try and change and you listen to what everyone else says, you know, you never know if your plan works or not. Yeah. Now, we've talked a lot about rugby, but is there anything outside of rugby that you want to achieve? You know, there's a, there's always, you always get a few goals, you know. There's always life goals. Um, you're always chasing after something, you know, always chasing the next big thing, chasing the next big dream. So one thing I would like to do is just enjoy the moment a little bit. No, because in the final at NLA, you know, after the game, I was already thinking of planning for the next season. What are we going to do? Are we going to go prem? What's happening? You know, instead of just enjoying it. And I spoke to a guy who actually climbed Mount Everest and he said one thing he, re- he regretted was not staying on top and looking at the view a little bit longer. You know, it was so hard going up and struggling and all of that coming down and he enjoyed it. But 
just just think for a moment just to enjoy the view a little bit longer you know so that's one thing i struggle with in my personal life i'm chasing always chasing the next big thing yeah i'm a massive victim of that as well <laughs> yeah yeah and, and i mean you're in dubai at the moment you know, it's a brilliant place to be it's a place to network it's a place where you can be with your family you've got beaches you've got the desert but just take a breath and just slow down a little bit yeah and i suppose the last question i would ask you just on coaching and your current situation at the canes what's your biggest challenge with coaching that you you're facing right now and how are you how are you tackling it you know at the moment is a rugby's amateur here so it's it's a social aspect for players you know players pay a fee to be part of a club to play rugby that they love you know there's a lot of things they can do as i mentioned in dubai on a tuesday and a thursday night on a saturday you know um, then they've got their work then they've got weddings they've got a lot of things going on at the moment you know i'm struggling to deal with players not attending training sessions players um, not going coming to matches and all that because i'm still wired differently because you know in south africa it's you you plan around your rugby season so you plan your weddings and all that around your rugby season you know not the other way around so that's one of the things i struggle with is um accepting that this is it's the same as guys going to paddle you know guys play play and join a paddle team and they go every tuesday but if they can't make it on a tuesday it's fine the other guys keep on playing you know they they enjoy the paddle and you can't make it but for me i'm like why can this guy not make training you know why can he not be at training is not important for him you know so i need to to change my mindset around that or i need to sit down and and write some goals down you know what's going to be different how can i manage that how can i improve that how can i improve myself um in that situation so that's the things that i'm currently busy with um with my research after the season and my planning for next season yeah do you think um cuz you're based out at the sevens which is you know it's a good half hour 40 minutes away from main main part of dubai do you think that's a factor in a lot of the training sessions that people just you know they've had a, a long day at work or whatever and then you know all right i've got another 45 minute drive to do some training and then i've got another drive back do you think that can sometimes just get on top of people yeah definitely definitely alex you know um i think 20 odd years back or whatever there wasn't as much traffic in dubai you know now traffic can be really hard. if you go on hesa street you can sit in hesa street for 40 minutes you know so it's hard getting out there um you've had a tough day at work plus you some guys are teachers they just coming back on a bus now sitting in traffic from an, from a fixture then have to get in their car come back there so it is a struggle but then also i think it can be an advantage as well you know after a tough tough day if you break through that traffic you can be out in the sevens which is world class facilities you know it's nice to get out there have a bit of a fresh fresh run around fresh um air in your lungs you now it's good facilities good food upstairs so i think it's, it depends on how you want to see the glass half empty or half full as i said you you can always use that as an excuse or you can use it as an excuse to say listen i need to get away from the from the big city and go out 40 minute drive and i'm out in the desert you know yeah i mean i remember when uh, i played at sharks many months ago and um just driving to sport city from wherever i was tcom at the time and that was just such a painful drive and it was literally you know a matter of kilometers away and you were just yeah. exhausted by the time you got there mentally drained yeah. by all the traffic so yeah i understand um there's a beautiful drive 
to the sevens, um, you know, not on the, the supposed not on the Alain Road, but the back road. I love it. Just uh, it's a beautiful drive. Yeah, we I invited Dylan Hartley over last year to our first um, session, our first planning session, all of that, and he almost he came a bit late. And I said to him, "Well, it's not nice turning up late, you know. We have a bit of a banter together." And then he said he didn't he didn't expect it to be this far, <laughs> you know. So it is far when you haven't been there, especially a guy who's just arrived and hasn't been out there. So it is, it is out, it is quite a drive. But like you say, it's a nice drive. Yeah, smashing facilities as well. It, uh, it would be. I'd love to see you know another another sports city, another seven stadium, kicking around in in, in further in the in the city would be good. But um, yeah. Rocky, that's great. I, I've loved chatting with you. It's been brilliant. I just want to hit you with a few quick fire rounds just to um, to end end this podcast. Okay, so you know, don't even think about them too much. We're just gonna fire them at you. If you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Pizza. Pizza. Uh, what's your favorite film? Um, Remember the Titans. What's your guilty pleasure? Ice cream. What flavor? Anything with chocolate. Uh, who would your dream dinner guest be? It would be Eddie Jones, Elon Musk, the guy from like oh, I read his book. I've got his name now. If you won 10 million tomorrow, what would be the first thing you'd buy? A house on a par three golf course. <laughs> Favourite thing to do on your day off? Golf. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say, I think I know the answer to that one. <laughs> What's been your proudest moment? Uh, my kid's been born. What's your biggest fear? Failing. Westlife or Boy Zone? This is for Nev. Nev normally asks this question, but he's not here today. So come on, Westlife or Boy Zone? Westlife. Well, thank you very much. It's been great. I've really enjoyed that. Thanks, Alex. Oh, it's so nice. And keep up the good work. Uh, we enjoy listening to your podcast. It's good. good to hear the different insights of the guys. And thank you for always putting up the stats and the fixtures for the for the season. It's good for our guys to go into Yala and, and follow, follow rugby in the UAE. Thanks to our guests this week. We'll be back again soon with another special guest. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and please like and share the show. See you later.